Welcome to episode 37 of Teach Me Tiger. You know, we have an expression that all mushrooms are edible, but most of them are only edible once. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Teach Me Tiger, where we, Melody and Liz. I'm Melody. I'm Liz. We chat with our most experty and smartest friends to learn about new things and old things, all kinds of things, things of every measure. We learn so much here. And we have such a good time. We do. Welcome to our show. <laughs> Welcome to the party. <laughs> <laughs> You're the guest of honor. Yeah, you. I'm talking to you. <laughs> I should get stoned before we record every time. <laughs> you should. Uh, how was your week, Liz? Uh, Any my peaks? Oh, yeah. My week was pretty good. I ordered a new bike. Ooh. I haven't been on a bicycle yet this year, and I'm really missing it. And you've been talking about needing a bike. I That's have exciting. Been. So I ordered it. On the internet? No, I ordered it from a store. Yeah. Because if you order it from the internet, when it comes, you have to put it together. That's not And cool. I don't want to do that. No. Because I don't like doing things like that. <laughs> and then I would not trust that I had put it together properly. Right. And then I would get on it and... And there would be some sort of catastrophic failure. Catastrophic failure. And I would fall in front of a truck and die. The end. Yeah. So uh, the store has it for me and I'm going to go pick it up on Monday. Oh, that's really exciting. And they're I'm, not open on Sundays? They might be. If they are, I'm going to go tomorrow. <laughs> Today's Saturday that yeah. we're recording. Yeah. So if they are, I'm definitely going to go tomorrow. And then I'm going to run my bike to work on Monday. That's really exciting. <laughs> yeah, because I just paid $100 with parking tickets. Because <laughs> I have been running out of time to walk to work. So oh. I've been driving to work, which is really stupid. And there's not a lot of parking for staff where I work. Right. And it's like a two-year waiting list for a parking spot. <laughs> and so I've been parking on the street and paying. And then I've been getting parking tickets. Anyway, so my week peak is I'm getting a motherfucking bike. Have you named her yet? No, but it's or him. It's aubergine. Oh, that's the the bike color. <laughs> Very nice. I know. I'm pretty excited. I did some shopping. What'd you buy? I told Chris I bought one bathing suit, but I ordered two bathing suits. Nice. And now this might expose me as like poor and classless. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't bought a bathing suit, I think, since like right around when Chris and I got together. So I don't know what, eight years or something. That's not poor and classless. That's just like, like the rest of us fucking millennials. You don't have any money. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, but I bought two and I'm really excited. That's good. Where'd you get them from? One of those. There's like so many websites that advertise on Instagram and Facebook. Right. There's like Cup She. Dress Lily, she something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's what I call my vagina. <laughs> that and I dyed my hair blonde. That's my week peak. Yeah, I'm your blonde. hair looks really good. 
things. Oh, I cut my hair really short. Yeah, Liz and I have summer bobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, by the time you're listening to this, we're into fall. But yeah. we, uh, we're we, recording this in the summer. We're yeah. shiny, we're sweaty, we have bobs. <laughs> there's a there's been a fly in here that's been landing on me every two seconds. <laughs> so our week peaks are that I got a bike. You we went t- shopping and did our hair. <laughs> Our week that we went shopping and did our hair. You know, the hardest thing about being a girl is trying to figure out what to wear. It's the hardest it's thing. It's so hard. Oh, gosh. Uh, I have so many choices. I have so many clothes that fit me and that I love. That's not true if you can tell by the tone of my voice. <laughs> <laughs> None of my clothes fit me and I hate it all. So we're going to be talking about mushrooms with Steve Morgan in a moment. It was... Full disclosure, we already did it. We're doing the intro after. It was pretty mind-blowing to me. I learned a lot. Get it's, ready to expand your mind as though you were um, high on magic mushrooms. Yeah. Perhaps. It, it That's is, what I guarantee with this experience you're about to have. <laughs> it was one of the most information-dense podcasts that we've done. Yes. And it's pretty cool. And mushrooms are magic. Mushrooms in all are magic. sense of the word. Absolutely. Yeah. So get ready for the magical vocal stylings of Mr. Stephen no Steve Martin so we have with us today my pal Steve Morgan. Steve's a super cool guy who lives in my and Chris's neighborhood so you can stalk him there uh, Steve's an artist. We have dogs. Yeah, <laughs> really vicious dogs. Steve's an artist and web developer, mushroom enthusiast. That's true. Michael File. Michael File. Lover of mushrooms. What else, Steve? What else? Uh, I'm a dad. Did I miss anything? Oh, of course. Yes, he's a dad. Fashion icon. Uh, sometimes. <laughs> You're good at killing chickens. It's not my favorite thing, but I've done it <laughs> when when the time comes. This is real country life. I'm more about the uh, defeathering. Oh, I'll yeah, let Greg handle true. the killing. Yeah, that's you. So welcome, Steve. And Chris, Thanks. my husband, is here. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Such a great sense of humor Chris has. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Chris, my husband, if you don't know him. Uh, he's an expert on some things. Yeah, Chris knows about stuff. interested in mushrooms. Chris, Chris is interested in mushrooms. Very interested. How interested are you, Chris? Uh, moderately, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being on the show today, Chris. Before we get into fungi, fungi? Fungi. Fungi. Fungi? I've heard lots of different I'm versions. not sure. I think there are different ways to do it. Um, have you listened to Allie Ward's podcast ologies no i have not. she has an episode on mycology oh cool mm-hmm. and she actually did a little research and it's technically correct to say fungi or fungi or fungi or fungi i believe oh. all all are correct great so before we get into it do you want to play a little icebreakers yeah roll up your sleeves pull up your socks reach on into melody's box Icebreakers. You get to reach into my box. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> what am I going to find? Not cold spaghetti and peeled grapes. <laughs> Terrifying. Here, give it to me. Hey, if anybody's listening and they have any good like, like icebreakers that they could email me, I would love it. 
We're getting low. Classic. Would you rather have invisibility or flight as a superpower? Hmm. Hmm. I think I'd go with the flight. Yeah. Yeah. Chris? Invisibility. Oh. I don't know. Too many. What would you do with you it? Do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just be a creep, right? Yeah. You'd just be a creep. <laughs> yeah. It's not very sociable either. Yeah. Being a creep or being. Like being <laughs> a creep. Exactly. I mean. <laughs> It's hard not to be a creep because it's such an antisocial superpower. Yes, yeah, true, true. Chris? I guess flying because of the various reasons that Steve mentioned. <laughs> Would you have said invisibility if Steve hadn't given his answer first? I'm not really Therefore sure. Therefore, showing well, your true colors as a creep. <laughs> I don't know what exactly I would do with invisibility because I'm not sneaking around ever. So You could steal money. I guess, yeah, but you could do that with flying too. True. I think it'd be yeah, easier just with a mask and a in a leotard. Yeah, that's <laughs> all you need. <laughs> a cape. Cape. I don't know. I might go with invisibility so that I could steal money from the rich, like the banks. You know. Hmm. Yeah. Right. You could ne- go. The and, man. You could go and delete everybody's student loans. Yeah. Or something like that. I would love to do a Fight Club esque thing where you like blow up all of the. Did you remember at the end of Fight Club? Uh, when he wants to destroy everyone's credit card history and therefore what capitalism is built on. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I would want What does he do? I don't remember. He wants to he wants to blow up a bunch of buildings that are like the main banks, which is funny to hear that in the age of the internet because blowing up the buildings that the banks are in would do nothing to destroy the records. No, <laughs> you'd, you'd have need to blow an up electromagnetic the, uh, blast. Yeah, it's all decentralized and on multiple servers. Yeah, yeah exactly. So there forever you'd have to engineer a solar pulse or a virus of some sort would be more effective than blowing up buildings so my superpower yeah, buildings choice get hurt. would be to be a really good hacker <laughs> <laughs> so i could delete everyone's credit uh, card history that could be a form of invisibility it, I was just yeah. Say, yeah yeah okay sure invisibility hacker invisibility yeah. perfect <laughs> yeah the men can't pick invisibility but because liz and i identify as women we could say invisibility <laughs> and not and not be creeps yeah, yeah. <laughs> icebreakers should we talk about mushrooms let's talk sure. about mushrooms mushrooms i'm pretty excited about this yeah to talk about all kinds of mushrooms oh yeah yeah steve yes what got you into mushrooms well, I think they probably came onto my radar in the 70s um, in the form of psilocybin mushrooms. That was a bit of a, an awakening. And I guess the first time I went foraging would have been in the mid-70s in Vancouver Island. And then uh, years later in Nepal, where um, I happened upon a place uh, in the Himalayas where mushrooms were in season. And so that was mm-hmm. my first adventure in wild mushrooms and so when you say mushrooms in this case like with in nepal you mean psilocybin these were psilocybin mushrooms yeah gotcha Uh, i guess my most recent thing that really got me interested five years ago or so i was working on a hunting and cooking show called heeb and rob show i was a cameraman this uh show would we'd go visiting different locations we work with local hunting guides and in this case a local forager. So he took Chef Eric and I out into the woods looking for chanterelle mushrooms. Oh. Yeah, I mean, this is new to me. I don't think I was even familiar at the time with, with chanterelles. I'd heard of them, but I had never probably eaten them. But we didn't actually find any, but what he did find was some oyster mushrooms. So I thought that was pretty cool that 
you know, you could go into the woods looking for one thing, and if you knew what you were looking for and had your eyes open, you might find something else. You know, it seemed to me kind of a sign that there might always be free food in the woods, you know. And as it turns out now, uh, medicine. I've been doing research for the last four or five years, you know, just uh, bought myself a few books and went on the internet and discovered that almost every kind of mushroom if it's not poisonous, <laughs> has some kind of medicinal effect. Even the common mushrooms, like button mushrooms, all have some kind of nutritional or, or medicinal effects. So hmm. uh, that's kind of got me interested in foraging and, and cultivation. And you do cultivate several yeah, different I started kinds, to, right? Yeah, there are some really good books about and places that you can buy cultures. The easiest are oyster mushrooms. That's a good thing to start with. But shiitakes are pretty easy. And then reishi mushroom, which is a famous medicinal. But there's other medicinal mushrooms like chaga, which really can't be cultivated and really need to be found in the wild. Does foraging make you nervous? Well, only about the ticks. Okay, so, <laughs> so you're not nervous because you know. Oh, identify you know, identifying ones that if you, you know, ones that are good to eat, and then ones that are super poisonous because right. they have what are those things called? One that is oh, good look-alike, to eat. you know, uh, dangerous like, lookalike. Yeah, because it'll you? be a good one to eat, but it looks like yeah. a bad one to eat. Right. Um, isn't no? Isn't the false morel and the morel that that's sort of a famous one, right? Yeah, that's famous. Both then are found a, around here. Yeah, and there there are lookalikes for the chanterelle as well. I don't know if nervous is because I take precautions. So the first time I find a new mushroom, I mean a mushroom that I think is edible that I'm not totally familiar with, I usually don't end up eating it. It sort of goes bad sitting around while I'm doing my research. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to be really sure. So if that's nervous, I think it's just a, a you know precaution. Precaution, yeah, yeah. If you eat the wrong kind of mushroom, like if you eat a couple mushrooms in your omelet that you foraged and they're bad ones, what would that do to you? Well, in most cases, you're just eating something that's not edible, so the experience will be unpleasant. You know, it, it's. <laughs> It's not an edible mushroom because it just doesn't taste good and it's too witty. Or That's the first level. You know, right. you wouldn't want to eat it because you wouldn't want to eat a piece of bark. It's not right. going to kill you, but you don't. It's gross. Yeah. Second stage would, not second stage, but sort of the next level of unpleasantness would be if you ate a mushroom that would cause you a digestive upset, you know, so your body's going to react, you're going to throw it up or it's going to go right through you or whatever. So that's an unpleasant experience. Again, not edible, but not. Right poisonous the worst for example would be the amanita phalaides phalaides it's also known as the death angel that's like the deadly amanita you're looking at organ failure yeah right yeah so you will eat it it won't even taste unpleasant and you won't even throw it up it's getting past those first two defenses right your kidneys just start shutting down yeah but not right away either like it's a week later or something your kidneys start to shut down so it could and you die really bad and because the effect is so delayed you know like a week later you're feeling sick and you don't think well on last tuesday i ate a mushroom Mm -hmm. right unfortunately that's a very attractive mushroom with white you know all white flesh it's not this one Note to listeners, Liz is pointing to a picture of a red and white mushroom in one of Steve's mushroom books. No, not that one. That's oh. the Amanita muscaria. Uh, okay. Yeah. Which is a really interesting 
magic mushroom in quotes. It's got a long history and culture from Europe. The Amanita is a fun mushroom to talk about. <laughs> the Amanita muscaria. It's also known as a fly agaric. That's what muscaria means. The Latin word means fly because flies are attracted to it. Um, Do they get I, high? That's a good question. Uh, Do you think they're attracted to it for recreational purposes? Well, that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, one would speculate that maybe they do. Maybe. Oh, what did I read? Uh, might have something to do with reproductive pheromones or something. Oh. That the mushroom produces something similar to what the fly produces huh. when it's mating. And that might be a method of attracting flies to distribute spores or something. Right. Um, but yeah, the historical connection between the Amanita muscaria and uh, Santa Claus is the interesting. Have you heard the? No, let's So can hear we it. describe okay. the mushroom first? Okay, well, it's a classic red, bright red mushroom with white spots. So often depicted in. Like all the cartoons. In, in fairy stories as the, the right. magic fairy mushroom. It's So it's well established mm-hmm. in our European in our cultural history yeah. uh, as, as associated with magic and fairies. My understanding is that in Lapland, there are tribal people that follow the reindeer, mm-hmm. and uh, they're nomadic people that follow uh, reindeer on the steppes, um, and their lives are intricately involved with the reindeer and their cultures, part and parcel with these herds. And they have shamans who are their spiritual guides. It's an animistic religion. So they worship nature, and the the act of a shaman is to cross the barrier between life and death. So shamans go back and forth between this world and the afterlife, and they often use rituals, including the consumption of hallucinogenic substances. And in this particular case, these shamans, they, they kind of dress like Santa Claus because they dress emulating the mushroom in red and white. Right. They have an intimate relationship with reindeer, as Santa Claus does. Oh, my God. Yes, but check this out. The, I was telling you earlier, the Amanita muscaria mushroom has some unpleasant side effects. Uh-huh. Like when, if you eat it directly, you can get cramps and diarrhea and all this. To um, counteract it, do you eat milk in a cookie? But if you eat milk in a, co- a chocolate chip cookie, no. No, that's, that's close. But maybe if you drank... The Santa if you If a reindeer ate... An Amanita muscaria, mm-hmm. and you ate the reindeer, you would get high without the additional effects. Oh, and, interesting. Uh, and unpleasant as this may sound, you can drink the reindeer's urine and have the hallucinogenic effect without the deleterious digestive side right, effect. Right, because it's filtered it already. Right. And the reindeer doesn't get as sick. Only yeah, the reindeer's can... liver or kidneys filter out the bad stuff, and the hallucinogen does its job on the reindeer and then comes through un unaltered into the reindeer's urine and uh, uh, reportedly the rituals and activities of these laplanders the sammies they're called sammies. are they sammy i was yeah. gonna say sammy but that i'm not sure like I'm not, but i'm not totally sure that it is sammy <laughs> but um oh i just to be honest i just googled oh you I, just googled it up I okay just, so it is but i wasn't sammy. totally sure and i just googled lapland indigenous yeah. people and it said sammy but there well, could be others right they are know. the indigenous people of lapland and finland and I think even into Greenland. So it could be Sammy, but if the internet says it is, then it might. Oh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, right. So the ritual that these people perform reportedly is that the shaman takes the mushrooms and his followers drink his urine. Oh. 
but obviously the mythology of the flying reindeer and that the shaman uses reindeer to do his spiritual journeys mm. is, you know, just a nugget on which the whole Santa Claus thing supposedly. I mean, built. interesting. Seems pretty. Seems pretty seems connected to me. I'll have a secret to tell everyone. Oh. I've never liked mushrooms. Uh oh. <laughs> I think they're really fascinating, but I've never like enjoyed eating them that much. Yeah. I love them. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> I really love I've them. recently gotten into eating like portobello mushrooms as hamburgers. Mm-hmm. And those little skinny string mushrooms. Inyoki? Yeah. Because in, I lived in Korea for a little while. Okay. And like having them in ramen and stuff is good. But like I can't just eat a mushroom. I no, like well, them. you shouldn't just eat a mushroom. I like but... them in stuff. But like if someone brings dip with mushrooms or whatever, you know, sometimes just people have veggie dips. It's not my favorite thing on the platter Did... by itself. Yeah. No. Did, but you were going to say you favorite. shouldn't eat them? Raw. raw. There, there aren't many mushrooms, if any, that should be eaten raw. Okay, um, even little button ones from the grocery yeah, store. Yeah, even the button mu- There was a sort of, I don't know, it was the 70s or the 80s where they were starting putting raw button mushrooms in salads. Yes. Um, it, it won't kill you, but I find they come through pretty much intact, undigested. <laughs> right, yeah. So, I mean, if you're into inspecting. <laughs> but, um, yeah, mushrooms are actually made of chitin or chitin what correct me if you know that. well uh, chitin, it's, a, it's the same thing insect skeletons yeah, the exact, are made of. insect really? and lobster skeletons so so technically mushrooms are cl- more closely related to animals than they are to plants oh. right plants are made of cellulose animals well at least insects and crustaceans are have exoskeletons made of chitin i'm blown away i had no idea about that okay either. yeah so chitin is not a digestible, easily digestible right. product. It's, uh, you know, like if you like eating shrimp shells or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not pleasant. No, but it does break down if it's cooked. So mushrooms almost universally should be cooked before they're eaten. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Good to know. Yeah. Okay, I guess should back up a little bit here. <clears throat> we've been talking about mushrooms and what we've mostly actually been talking about are fruit bodies or fruiting bodies. Those structures that we see above the ground, you know, so what, as you described the red mushroom with white spots that we see on the forest floor is not actually the mushroom. The mushroom lives most of its life cycle under the soil, in this case, or in the wood, in the case of an oyster mushroom or a shiitake, in the form of mycelia. Those little tiny white fibers, generally they're white. Mm-hmm. If you peel up a piece of rotting bark... Or look under oh. the the leaf litter yeah. in the forest. You'll see these white fibers. It kind of looks like mold. Right. Those white fibers. Each fiber is a genetic individual of that particular fungal species. So every spore, just to simplify it, mushrooms produce spores. The spores land in a friendly medium of some kind, uh-huh. a nutritional substrate. The spores produce a, a single thread-like cell and those thread-like cells are called mycelia and they form a mat you know like a structure under the soil or in the substrate think of it as a colony and then when the conditions are, are right for reproduction typically that means that the mycelium have consumed as much nutrition as they can and stored it up in in their mycelial bodies so in many cases some genetic material can be exchanged between two mycelia 
it's asexual reproduction. There are, there are no different sexes of mycelia, but they do somehow in, end up meeting up when conditions are right, exchanging some DNA and going into this entirely different mode of being where they produce what we will then see above the substrate as, as a mushroom. And, and the mushroom body is essentially made of matted mycelia. It's structurally, chemically almost identical to a very tight mat of the very same kind of mycelial structures that live individually under the soil. And that, as in many cases, very rapidly forms this fruiting body. Yeah, mushrooms can pop up like overnight. Overnight, literally. And <laughs> it's because of the accumulated energy and water that they keep in reserve. So they're ready to release it uh, all of a sudden. It's quite mystical. And that produces, in some cultures, kind of awe. You know, uh, in some cultures, mushrooms are repulsive. Mm-hmm. They come from death. They come from dead things. Right. In other and cultures, they're places. seen as miraculous and representing life. You go out one morning and you see a whole bunch of mushrooms there that weren't there the day before. And does the fruit come from a bunch of the mycelia together? Or is it like one strand? I think it's a... Uh, I think it starts when two mycelia when interact with each other. two mycelia love each other yeah, very with, much. In a special way. <laughs> on a Thursday they, they night. Get, they actually connect these two fibers uh, <laughs> in exchange material Yeah. in the reproductive act, but also in other ways as well. I mean, all mushrooms are different and not all mushrooms work the same way, but essentially that's the mushroom life cycle. Hmm. Spore to mycelium to a fruiting body to producing more spores that are released onto the wind or what have you, or onto insects, and that's the life cycle. So I think that's super cool. The first time I ever heard of the like underground mycelial network was... I'm not it's, gonna a great, s- it's a great band, Underground Mycelial Network. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's <a> prog rock. <laughs> it was on an episode of Radiolab. Okay, yes. Yeah. So I've which heard is, a few. I've heard yeah, that one. It's, yeah, so that's it's a, a science, science podcast on NPR. And basically, it was all about the mycelial network and how it relates to trees. Right. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. Basically, the scientist, <laughs> long story short, her dog, when she was a kid, got stuck in a um, uh, outhouse, like in the hole. Oh, dear. And they were all like, oh, God, we can't let our dog. So they started digging. They they saved him, but they had to dig through the ground at an angle okay. to get to the gross outhouse right. hole. And then they rescued him and they had to clean him and it was disgusting. But what she saw when she was a kid were all of these fibers that you just described. Right. And she thought, what is that? And That's then when she I... was an adult, she basically became this like mycelial expert. Mm-hmm. And in the show, they talk about how these mycelial networks live at the roots of trees and how they're kind of responsible for passing nutrients mm-hmm. from one tree to another. Absolutely. And how they can literally help the trees communicate exactly. with chemical messages and they can pass nutrients to trees that need more nutrients, mm-hmm. and sometimes even of different species. Yep, so the whole that. forest thrives. Right. Because of mushrooms. It's true. Mushrooms, really, the difference mushrooms. between dirt and soil is, is uh, you know, what makes dirt into soil is the fungal content, you know, the... The microbes. It, it makes it into a living thing. Yeah, everything you said is is... Totally accurate from what I've heard as well. It's amazing. The idea being that a big mature oak, which is shading, it's dropping acorns, but the acorns aren't able to produce oak trees because there's no light. And trees can't, you know, survive without being exposed to the light. So some of these little acorns can actually start growing 
And even though they're not getting nutrition from producing their own photosynthesis, they are being delivered sugars from the mother oak, and it's via mycelial network. Amazing. Um, so that, you know, eventually that big old oak will die and there will be some little oaks under there that have got a little bit of a head start. But I've also heard that it's not just exclusive to oak to oak. Yes, different species. Yeah, that forests need to be diverse. And people make the analogy of this mycelial network being like the internet. The original me. internet. Yeah. yeah, it sounds super fascinating. In also pop culture... Star Trek yes. <laughs> Discovery uses Mycelial Network. Yeah, Do you watch yeah, that show? Up, Which yeah. is like totally different. But I really liked knowing about the real Mycelial Network. Right. And then when I heard about it in the show, I thought, oh, that's a clever use of it. Yeah, yeah. No, and the character in the show, is his name is Paul Stamets. Do mm-hmm. you? Yes. Yeah, and that's a real person, right? Note. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening. On Star Trek Discovery, they use something to move through the universe called the mycelial network and it's literally mushrooms they've done something to the ship's engine so that they can use the mycelial network to travel across the universe and the person who is in charge of it on the show his character's name is paul stamets paul stamets is like the evangelist of mushrooms like back in the 70s i met a guy who was growing magic mushrooms and he was following instructions by a guy named Paul Stamets. Amazing. And Paul Stamets now is very active. Uh, S-T-A-M-E-T-S. Mm-hmm. Look him up. He has a company that sells all kinds of mushroom cultures and mushroom growing equipment and instructions. And he's written a number of books um, the one that specifically refers to this forest ecology and stuff like that. Well, he starts by describing how important mushrooms are to the environment itself. Right. And But then these principles, like, so he looks at what you just described to me and looks for underlying philosophical lessons from that, you know, like the idea of these mushrooms sort of maintaining diversity, the idea of the sharing of nutrients between species and stuff like that for the, for the betterment of all. Mm-hmm. And obviously influenced a little bit by the kind of vibe you get from magic mushrooms where you sometimes get a feeling of your place in the universe. And yes. Of, of being not just, not insignificant. You're, an infinitesimally small part of a giant infinite thing. But at the same time, you don't feel puny or insignificant. You feel integral to it. And I think that vibe has inspired people like Paul Stamets to do a lot of research. So in the, in the 40 or whatever years since they started experimenting with uh, growing magic mushrooms, a lot of these citizen scientists have really been pushing these home cultivation techniques to the cultivation of other kinds of mushrooms as well, and the, the development of a kind of philosophy about how how adopting mushrooms into our culture is probably something we should be doing at this stage. You know, in we're we're in an environmental crisis, so just sort of to spin off on a tangent here, some of the things that Stamets and others, who I'll mention later, have discovered that mushrooms can be used for remediating soil after an oil spill oh. you can breed mushrooms that will break down plastics that will break down oil they can be used for producing various medicines oh i didn't mention the name of the book it's mycelium running 
is the name. And he has another book here, which uh, Steve's that? reaching. Oh into yeah, his yeah, reaching into basket Miller, of books, box of books, a yeah. giant box of books on mushrooms. Um, Growing gourmet and medicinal mushrooms by Paul Stamets is the industry standard text for instructions on how to grow any one of a couple of dozen different kinds of medicinal, nutritional, and uh, psychotropic mushrooms. So the whole magic mushroom thing, you've talked about people using mushrooms medicinally. Magic mushrooms like psilocybin is considered medicinal. Yes, no? Well, uh, I, I think it's being considered by the authorities not to be medicinal. It, it's being classed as a drug with no uh, redeeming medicinal qualities, but it's being known by, by people that have experienced it that it can help treat things like PTSD and depression. And quite recently, there's been some clinical studies that indicate that it is useful for these things. It's not just uh, people's imaginations that they feel better. It's that they actually do feel better. There's also a wave of decriminalization in in the States, which is odd. Of of magic? Of psilocybin? That's right. Oh. In a number of states now expanding. uh, Colorado. But it seems like it's cities. Like it's like Denver, not Colorado. It could be, yeah. The the laws are weird because you can have things that are federally illegal, but then literally locally legal. Like within state lines somehow. Yeah, because they yeah, I had heard that of two weird... two places, San Diego, California, and Denver, Colorado. I thought that there was like quite mm-hmm. a bit more than that because the harm of it is so low yeah. compared to something like meth or yeah. you know something like that. And the clinical benefits are, are being proven are right. being increasingly proven. <clears throat> That's the catch twenty two, right? If something's illegal, it's very difficult to do legitimate research on it. So right. you can't legitimize it. Yeah, right. Universities have to get all kinds of special permits if they wanted to do the to, testing. To yeah. do tests with this stuff. On the Canadian front, Dana Larson, who made himself famous campaigning to get cannabis legalized, has now started a psilocybin dispensary in vancouver where they dispense only microdoses i think it's 50 milligram pills yeah, yeah. what, are, what so, is the benefit were you gonna ask the benefit of a microdose i was gonna say let's just say first what is a microdose okay yeah. well microdose would be any dose that you couldn't feel so a typical dose like a recreational dose you might feel i don't know a quarter gram of mushrooms you might start to feel a little tingle or something like right. that half a gram you know, they say something like five grams would be a heroic dose where you can expect <laughs> the unexpected. Heroic. Like, I love it. Heroic. Yeah. Uh, Terrence McKenna came yeah, up I've with the term. Yeah, I've done a heroic dose. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I did a heroic dose once. I didn't like it. I no, it's like not a, a pleasant sensation. Um, so a microdose would be anything below what would be considered a dose that you could perceive. So, so somewhere in the order of a tenth of a gram or something is yeah. about what people... Okay. Um, and what are the they're, benefits? They're, well, they're like dopamine and, and other neurotransmitter modulators just like antidepressants are. So if you take them, the theory would be that you can use them just like an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety med without being high right. Right. from it. There's sort of a trend in Silicon Valley now of microdosing psilocybin and LSD. Mm-hmm. LSD, incidentally, is also a byproduct of a fungus, right? It's derived know. from a rye mold called ergot. Oh, yes. Huh. I've heard about that. Yeah. So it just that. happens also to be a fungal spinoff. But yeah, experimenting with microdoses to increase their work performance. Product, productivity. Yeah, productivity. Yeah. To, you know, to make them sharper and smarter and... Uh, more creative. More creative. Let's Better see looking. What, <laughs> let's people, see what you can produce for Google today. Mm-hmm. 
use microdoses to deal with the after effects of PTSD or mm-hmm. OCD, depression. So that's something that maybe not daily, but some people do a day on, day off, or three days on, three days off, something like that. And the effects are, are subtle. But There's definitely the a lot of buzz about it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, there are people working towards legalization here, so in Canada. So Dana Larson, in his message that I read, was hoping that because they're only dispensing psilocybin in microdoses, that they'll be able to fly under the legal radar because it can't be construed as recreational. I mean, I suppose you could buy 10 or 20 microdoses and end up with a perceptible dose. but A heroic dose. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But the therapeutic use of psilocybin is usually done in larger doses, uh, you know, those approaching maybe even what we just call the heroic doses, but in the company of a therapist. And this is for more severe situations like people with terminal cancer who are facing imminent death. A lot of people, when they find themselves in that situation, they get a little depressed. Right. Right. So, and understandably so, right? Mm -hmm. Situational depression. There's a lot of reasons to be not too optimistic at that point. Apparently, with one or two serious doses of psilocybin and sitting down with a qualified therapist can totally change someone's attitude to their imminent demise. Interesting. Uh, and there's lots of case studies and individual people who will attest to that. The, the same thing, uh, MDMA was used briefly in the 80s for the same thing. Ecstasy. And that's a, yeah, that's like a perception change. So you're trying to get out of your usual mode of thinking to sort of look at where your situation is from a different aspect. Right. Well, yeah. I depression is notorious, sort of a mind trap, right? You, sure. You, even people that don't have it can understand that people get stuck in negative thought patterns and it sort of reveals to the mind, to the self, that other ways of being and thinking exist. Right. Mm-hmm. Timothy Leary and all those guys were saying at the time that LSD was a medicine to cure society and culture, right? It, it, Mm-hmm. And he was a college professor. I mean, there were people within academia that were accepting that in the 60s. It just got suppressed by the war against drugs for, right. for all these years. Man, the war against drugs. The American government has been so historically like puritanical. I mean, same with Canada, but the Reagan years. Yeah, that was a real fiasco. But anyway, I read a recent article that it's not just psychosomatic, if you will, or psychogenic. Like if the problems are psychogenic, as in generated by your psyche, Mm -hmm. then just plain old talk there, you you know, like working with concepts would maybe be a way to deal with it in the realm of your psyche. But there are actually physiological changes taking place now. They've started to do studies and psilocybin and LSD both stimulate the growth of neurons in the brain. No way. Yeah. No, it's, they can physically see after people have consumed it that the brain is actually starting to grow. And, you know, we were always taught, uh, you know, I think I was always taught that, uh, you know, your brain stops growing by the time you're 25 or something, right? And that after that, it just calcifies uh, and it's all downhill from there. <laughs> um, fact is that these substances actually stimulate the growth of of new brain cells and new dendrites on the neurons 
So there's a physiological change that can be measured. You know, science loves to be able to measure. The medicinal stuff is all very well documented because in Japan and China, where they already have a deep respect for fungi, they don't just disregard their old wives' tales and traditional medicines. They will apply the full force of Western science to them. And so from tradition, from Chinese medicine, we have knowledge or traditional knowledge of, say, the reishi mushroom is good for the immune system, or the artist conch mushroom is good at stabilizing the nervous system, or certain mushroom might be good for the digestive system, or, or for diabetes. So traditional medicines have sort of classified these different fungi as having these properties, and then scientists have analyzed them and and then isolated them and tested individual polysaccharides in mice to see what they do. So it's fairly well established why these things work. And I guess the reason that they produce these things is because they're in constant contact, being sort of inside out and exposed as they are. They have to be ready to fight things off. And the fact that they're sort of more closely related to animals than they are to plants means that some of these medicines work for us as well as they work for the mushroom itself. I have a question. Is the next wave of antibiotics going to be fungi-based? Because I remember hearing um, something on the CBC, I wish I could remember any details at all, but they were saying that they found fungi or fungi, fungi, whatever, Mm -hmm. in the soil, Mm -hmm. and that they're looking at that sort of as the next wave. Like, we might not be doomed in terms of antibiotics. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Fungi, soil fungi, for sure, is one of the frontiers that they're they're looking into. Um, there's There's a fellow named Trad Cotter, yeah, he's written the book, Trad Cotter, Organic Mushroom Farming and Mycoremediation. He's patented an idea. Okay, so when we grow mushrooms uh, indoors in the, in the lab or whatever, if they're wood-loving mushrooms, like oysters or, or the reishi or shiitake, we'll grow them on uh, blocks of sawdust and wood chips. Like pressed? Yeah, chips? pressed. Basically, okay. um, you have to produce first a mycelial culture, which you then introduce to a grain substrate like rice flour, or in a lot of cases, I use uh, sterilized wild bird seed. Seems to be the cheapest source of the kind of seeds that it likes to grow on. And then you take it from there and add it to sterilized wood chips and sawdust, and basically in a, a sterilized plastic bag, and the mycelium grow into that structure. At that stage is where some people are doing experiments with making uh, packaging materials. Mm-hmm. Because, say, for example, oyster mushrooms, which are, as I said earlier, one of the easier ones to grow because they're very aggressive. They'll basically consume any form of cellulose, uh, which is to say plant matter. So anything from straw to wood chips, to sawdust, to the refuse from sugarcane making or or the agricultural waste, you know, corn stalks, just about anything. And when those fibers grow through the cellulose, consuming it, they also end up making a rigid, almost styrofoam-like material, hmm. which is quite, well, it's 
biodegradable ultimately, but it's also very stable. So people are actually experimenting with, with making custom packaging forms by molding. And actually, I'm experimenting with, with sculptural techniques using this technique too, where I have made a, a mold sort of a base relief mold. My first experiment was a, a cast of my face and pack that with, with sawdust and wood chips and then grow uh, mushroom mycelium into that and then pull that out and I have like this lightweight, stable, very strong white cast of my face which I was able to grow mushrooms out of it. So it's sort of like a temporary <laughs> sculpture, you know, a That's process really sculpture. Okay, sorry, just to finish Trad Cotter's idea. So when the mycelia are growing through this wood substrate, normally the next step would be to induce the conditions that would make it want a fruit. You're basically trying to get shiitake mushrooms Mm -hmm. or oysters off of this block instead of a log, which is the traditional way, right? But you'll often see, I think they call it an exudate or extrudate, often yellow or golden colored liquid that sometimes forms on the surface of the block once it's fully inoculated. Turns out that those extrudates are actually really, really rich in these poly complex polysaccharides. And in fact, they contain kind of the essence of the medicinal properties of, like the, of the mycelium. Right before the fruiting body yeah, yeah. is this so, liquid. So just to say that, and this is important to note, that the mycelium has all the medicinal properties that the full-grown mushroom body has. Okay. So industrially, they don't... So if you're buying, say, cordyceps, or something, which is a kind of mushroom that people buy for the immune system, or reishi, or maitake, or whatever. If you're buying that in a pill form, chances are that it was grown in a lab in... Uh, mycela can actually just grow in sugar water. Oh. Right. That's how we... That's the for, sort of the first stage. The mycelium grow in the sugar water, and it sort of form a, a cloud of mycelium in there. That's probably as far as they'll go. They won't bother trying to make fruiting bodies. They'll just strain the mycelia out of the sugar water, uh, extract chemicals from the mycelium itself. And apparently, the mycelium sometimes contains even higher concentrations of these medicinal substances. Interesting. But to finish the Trad Cotter theory... He has proposed the idea that exposing that mushroom block, that that mycelial block, directly to bacteria should stimulate the thing to to respond with specifically tailored substances for that bacteria. Like a mycelium encountering anthrax in the soil is going to send a signal down saying, I need this specific concoction of of enzymes to fight this specific bacterium here. Right. So the theory being, ultimately, eventually, you get strep throat, you're going to go to the doctor, the doctor will take a swab of your throat, culture that strep, and then expose that to, say, a reishi mushroom, mycelium, basically the simplest level that he's describing is there's just a little hollow that you you carve in this or or cause to exist in this block, put a blob of this strep bacteria right out of somebody's throat directly onto these mushrooms and then take whatever the mushroom produces in in a defense. So then, you know, this is exactly what you're saying. We're saved 
because you were probably referring to all these antibiotic resistant bacteria, yeah. C. difficile and stuff like that, yeah. which is so elusive because it constantly shape shifting and changing its genetic makeup slightly and it's adapting its defenses against these known antibiotics. So you could take any strain of this particularly difficult bacteria, expose it to the right kind of mushroom, mm -hmm. mycelium, and in theory, that mushroom should produce something that directly beats that bacteria. So we're looking at like bespoke yeah, bespoke antibiotics. antibiotics exactly. That's amazing. Have they been doing this? Like, uh, well, he, yeah. I mean, he's got a patent submitted on this, and I, uh, for sure, they've been playing around with it. I don't know how, you know, how it's going to work. I mean, do you actually just put a bit of phlegm on a block of <laughs> on a block of mycelium, and then, yeah, how does it work? Right. I don't know, but th it's the theory that's there. Right. That's amazing. Seems promising. Mm -hmm. Seems promising to me. Yeah. Yeah, and I think many of our traditional antibiotics are also derived from molds and yeasts, and they're all within this sort of world of, of fungi. So, mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite mushroom? Do I have a favorite Like mushroom? edible or medicinal or whatever? The psilocybin mushrooms are undoubtedly remarkable experience. I guess... The tastiest mushroom for sure I've had are morels. Mm. Yes, I like morels. Morels uh, with just a little in butter and a little garlic and then deglaze with white wine and, and just eat it like a sacrament. You don't usually have that many. So right. the one time last year, a friend brought a bunch over and I had friends visiting. And I guess maybe there were six or eight of us standing around. Maybe we had six or eight mushrooms to share between us eating little pieces and just uttering reverential profanities, you know, like, just, <laughs> holy fuck, you know, like, oh my God, like, it is an experience. People love morels. They yeah. are fantastic. I had, the one time I had um, morels, my friend foraged them, and we had them, and she cooked them in butter, and they were really good, and that was the same with uh, chicken of the woods, or hen of the woods. Yeah, they're nice. Oh, hen of the woods, yeah, way is that better. The, isn't that the same thing? No, chicken oh. of the woods is also called sulfur shelf. Oh, okay. It's a bright, bright yellow. Oh, okay. And the flesh cooks up with a remarkably similar texture to, to chicken. Oh, okay. When you said hen of the woods, I just assumed it was just another no, no, name. hen of the woods is... Which one did you have? Did you? Have, I had chicken. Okay, it was bright yellow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's pretty nice. Hen of the woods grows on the bases of oak trees around here anyway and it's it's called girafola frondosa it's got these little fronds from a distance kind of looks like a brain but when you get up close it's a bunch of different fronds anyway that's also known as maitake by the japanese really really good mm -hmm. i think you brought us some I'm, oh yeah like a little Steve went around chunk, the neighborhood yeah. and because when it comes, bit. I found there's usually way more than you can get eat at one time. They come up quite large. This is in a public space, so I have to get there before the groundskeeper comes with his lawnmower and just smashes them, you know. He, oh. he probably thinks they're unsightly uh, yeah. and bad for his trees. I don't know. Just an interesting side note about the maitake and the shiitake, both medicinal mushrooms, that if you dry them in the sun... They produce vitamin D oh. in the same way that we produce vitamin D in the sun. So another connection, cool. you know, the animal connection. Neat. But yeah, so when you get a 
you know, more than you can eat in a meal. You can dry them in the sun and it increases the vitamin D on orders of magnitude. Like it's insane. I, uh, it goes from 40 to 4,000 units or something like that. It's crazy. Amazing. So wow. if someone needs vitamin D and they can't get it from the sun for whatever reason, yeah. it's, they, if they could take like mushroom created vitamin D. Sure. Be or if you dry your mushrooms that you gather in the fall and, and eat them in the winter, yeah. then, you're, then there's a natural vitamin D supplement. Yeah. Can we go back to foraging a little bit? Sorry. Since yeah. we're already kind of sure. going there a little. Yeah. Are there any characteristics of poisonous mushrooms that are ubiquitous or do you basically just need to yeah. memorize yeah what's yeah. edible and what's poisonous and well what's... The, better to assume they're all poisonous right <laughs> <laughs> you know we have an expression that all mushrooms are edible but most of them are only edible once <laughs> <laughs> that's scary yeah it's exactly uh yeah so you just sort of as a food forager, you get a uh, repertoire of mushrooms that you recognize. Mm -hmm. How would someone get into foraging if they well, wanted to learn to about know, mushrooms? If you live in a major city like Toronto or Ottawa, uh, yeah. you could join the Mycological Association. The Toronto Mycological Society is great, really super cool people and uh, very knowledgeable and mm -hmm. and the whole range of gourmet mushroom fanatics and your taxonomists who just right. want to name and discover microscopic things mm. families of immigrants who are continuing their mushroom gathering traditions from their homeland you know they do forays all throughout the year i just go on the big one in the fall but because i don't live in toronto but They've got stuff going on every weekend through the season. So oh, that, wow. that's, I would say, that would a, good be a good thing. Way. Yeah, find other people who you know who are interested in reading and going on the internet. There are some good Facebook mushroom identification groups where, you know, if you have a mushroom, you can post some photographs and people all over the world or all over North America or whatever will, will attempt to help you identify it. And that's useful. One yeah. thing I've heard is that a type of mushroom, say like a chicken of the woods, can be fine grow if it's growing on a deciduous tree. Right. But if it's growing out of a coniferous tree, right. you can't eat it. So it depends because the mushrooms like grow in their mm -hmm. food, you have, mm -hmm. they can change whether they're poisonous or not depending on what that's they're growing true. out of. Yeah, I've heard that. And it was about the chicken too, I think. I literally just it, saw it on a Facebook post of my friends. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think there's something about chicken of the woods that grow on hemlock that makes them bad or something. Well, that makes sense, I guess, because yeah, hemlock's poisonous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've heard that. In that respect, the uh, medicinal mushrooms like the chaga and the birch polypore, which both grow on birch trees. So the, a birch tree is also known as a kind of a healing tree and obviously very important to... Uh, indigenous people as well for all kinds of things. But there are substances, as you were saying, that they take out of the tree. So betulinic acid or something. Betula, I think, is Latin for birch trees. Mm -hmm. And so these fungi actually take medicinal properties and in maybe, as you say, in some cases, toxic properties from what they're growing on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know much about this, obviously, which is why it's great you're here. But I had a friend in university. She was a really cool lady, and she was also into psilocybin and its production and its use as a spiritual aid. And she spent a lot of time in South and Central America, and she made friends with a man who was a shaman, and they would forage 
Um, and he told her to not pick any if it had been growing out of horse poo. <laughs> oh yeah, because well, they are—they all grow on poo, some sort of poo. Yeah, but he'd say go for the cow poo, he not said, the horse poo. I think this is a long time ago. She told me this, but I'm pretty sure she said cow poo, not horse poo, because yeah. the horse poo will make you crazy. Right. Okay. No, I have no idea. It's just an old anecdote, but I remember yeah. thinking, oh, it's the special. So all psilocybin grows in poo. Yes. Well, no. Interesting. They are, but the one, the cubensis, which is the common okay. one that that you see and and the mushrooms that i found in vancouver island were on cow patties as in nepal as well okay directly growing out of cow patties yeah (laughs) and psilocybin that's like a class of mushrooms it's not it's not just yeah yeah. Uh, so yeah psilocybin cubensis is one from cuba and there are many other ones but there is one azurensis i believe which means blue which and the blueness is uh, a sign of potency they grow on wood Wood chips, I think. Oh, okay. And there are some other classes of mushrooms that are non-psilocybin that contain hallucinogenic properties like the Amanita muscaria that we were talking about earlier. Right. yep. That's an entirely different set of chemicals. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And there are more than one hallucinogenic chemical in psilocybin mushrooms. There's psilocybin and psilocin, I think, or something. I'm not really sure. Interesting. Yeah, as a as a self taught person, I'm not good with the with the words because I often just sort of read them. I just see, yeah, I see it as a symbol and I remember it. But then yep. when it comes to pronouncing all the syllables, oh, that happens. <laughs> that happens to me all the time. For a long time, I when I read the news, I had never heard the word junta said out loud like a military oh, junta, military junta, and I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know it was a Spanish word. So I was like a junta, and someone corrected me. <laughs> that yeah. happens well, to me lots all of the time. People pronounce it that way. Yeah, that's fair enough. I had a friend who worked at uh... gorillas in the junta, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. A friend who worked at um, oh, what's the name of that place in Toronto? Mildred Pierce, maybe. Oh, the fancy restaurant. Yeah, and for like a year and a half, she was saying jalapenos. <gasps> oh no. <laughs> And she's a server. Oh, <laughs> no. That's awful. No one corrected her. Oh, that's mortifying. <laughs> yeah. I think I remember ordering a salad Nicolay's or something when it salad N- Nichoise. Nichoise. Yes. Yeah. And the waiter corrected me. Nichoise, sir? You're like, no, yeah. I don't want that anymore. No, I don't want it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got sour apples in it. <laughs> exactly. That's funny. Is there anything that we missed that either of you want to cover uh, on mushrooms? There's so much stuff. There's uh, so much, yeah. It's really fascinating. It is. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I, I wanted to mention one other guy, Peter McCoy, and his book, Radical Mycology. And this book kind of looks like Russia, like old Russian fairy tales, the cover. Yes, with the woodcuts wood yeah. on the cover. That is quite an interesting book because it covers chapters on the science, you know, the, the polysaccharides and specific clinical research. It also co- has chapters on alchemy, you know, like Whoa. we didn't talk about how to make extractions and stuff like that, how to make medicine. And that's easy enough to look up, you know, making tinctures double extraction method where you get some of the stuff out with alcohol and then you get the rest of the stuff out with water and you mix the two things together. Um, Yeah, but the Peter McCoy book, like I said, Paul Stamets was like an evangelist for mushrooms. Peter McCoy is like a radical revolutionary for mushrooms. Well, they're so important to the, they build the basis, the foundation of our natural world. 
Liter- right. Literally. Exactly. Yeah. They may have been on land before plants and animals and, and basically setting up the ground work, basically yeah. literally creating soil that the rest of us could inhabit. Mm-hmm. It's like magic. I was talking a little bit about the life cycles of the mushrooms and how they're like animals but turned inside out. That sort of explains why some of these mushrooms or many of these mushrooms have medicinal properties. So let's look at that uh, mycelium again. It does all kinds of things, but at at the front end of it, what it is doing is basically burrowing into the food and in digesting the chemicals that it encounters. I believe mushrooms are, some mushrooms are capable of absorbing actual minerals so we think of trees uh, or plants as absorbing minerals out of the soil, right? But the minerals have to be water-soluble, and many of these nutrients are trapped in the soil in a form that the trees can't dissolve and, and absorb. So mushrooms are out there at the leading edge of the roots, breaking down minerals and making them into a form that plants can use. But while they're doing that, they are encountering in the soil, obviously, other fungi and bacteria and viruses, you know, anthrax lives in the soil. They're out there in in the dirt, right? Directly exposed to things that could be pathogens against them. So their defensive capabilities, and this is where the communication thing comes in, this fungal network in the soil. Actual information is being moved along these mycelia, like uh, let's say mycelium encounters in the soil a bacterium which would like to infect it. It needs to produce an antibacterial substance to, to pose that thing. And it needs to produce a specific substance, not just a random, it's not just shooting, you know, like alcohol out the front. It's shooting out an antibiotic that's specifically tailored to deal with this biological threat. Right. It needs to send information about the threat along the length of its mycelial body. Now, these mycelia are single cells. They're not like root. Plant roots go through the soil by adding cells onto the tip of the root, right? The root is made up of lots of individual plant cells, Mm -hmm. and more cells are created at the tip of the root, and that's how the root sort of probes into the earth. In the case of a mycelium, it's a single cell which has to push through the earth by growing itself at the same time as absorbing things in and squirting out chemicals to break down nutrients and to fight off biological threats. So what exactly the chemical that's going to be extruded by the end of the mycelium depends on what it's encountering. And and then when that whole thing is a network in the forest connecting trees and there's a little poplar tree that needs some sugar, and then it has to come from the oak tree. Again, it's a communications process. It's not just shooting sugar out randomly all over the place. It's only taking these nutrients and depositing them in places where they're needed, I guess, according to some higher logic that we don't understand or some kind of stasis that it's trying to maintain. But at any rate, it's not random. It's based on information. Even though it's sort of plant and fungal information, it's it could only be classed as information. It's amazing. It really blows my mind. And 
I know I've said that word like 17 times, but it is kind of mind blowing because it's super complex. All the processes are super complex, but at the same time, it seems so simple. Like these like simple processes that right. keep us all alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's complex, but it's all one. It's like it's all one entity. Well, similar to what I was saying about that feeling that psilocybin can sometimes give you that you're just a infinitesimal speck in an infinite thing, but you're still integral to it, and and it's all connected. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. That's why you like mushrooms. Yeah, that's one one reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they do seem to be. Well, and there's so much to learn about them. It seems like they've been ignored, you know, when they plant an animal kingdom have been so well explored. Much of this stuff is, is actually coming out right now. And many, much of it's been discovered by these guys like Stamets and Cotter and McCoy, who just started out as regular people. And now they're like mm-hmm. scientists, but that's because they've just been doing the science and anybody can do that. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Neat. And you got to love free medicine and free food if you can find it in the woods. Steve, what are you listening to lately? Musically? Anything good? Uh, What was I listening to last night? Harry Belafonte. (laughs) Oh, he's great. What's your favorite song? (laughs) Well, Matilda. That was fun. Yeah. Hey, Matilda, 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 she take me money and run Venezuela. My mother had one of his albums, and it's probably one of the first uh, songs I ever heard was uh, Daylight Come and Me. Oh, so I love it so much. Oh, my God. I loved it. It was so, like, fun. Work all night and I drink a rum. Daylight Come. There's another yeah. song he has. It's like, that's right, the women are smarter. That's yeah. right, the women are smarter. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. No, that was fun. Yeah, I've been listening to old stuff on uh, the Amazon. Haven't been listening to much new stuff. I don't know any new music. I occasionally will look at posts online that are things like, because I like fashion, and it'll say, you know, all the best outfits from the Grammys or some musical award show. And I just like to look at the outfits. Mm. And often I will scroll through the people and I don't know who a single person is. Mm. And they all look like they're 12. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I look at their clothes and then I close the button. (laughs) Do you listen to podcasts? No, not, not really. Not much. No, I have a friend who does not listen to podcasts and I always think... Oh, you don't? She's like, no, I don't like them. And I was like, okay, I guess they're not for everybody. But they are fun. There's so many out there. Obviously, we're making one right Mm -hmm. now. I heard Conan O'Brien say recently on his podcast, I think eventually all humans are going to starve because no one's producing food because they're all making podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) That's the eventual evolution. That's the real apocalypse. There's a website called Hype Machine. And I used to periodically go there because it would compile lists of like what music is hot. Like oh. today, oh, last okay. month, whatever, based on mentions on the internet, like blog posts and stuff. Oh, It's pretty cool. If you want to find new music, I cool. used to periodically go in there and like listen to new stuff. One well, 
Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, but uh, re-podcasts. I mean, I do. I listen to CBC a lot. That's what I kind of, which is basically, which I kind of do. Yeah, yeah, and it's and they're they are playing a lot of podcasts now and also, to fill the summer, right? And they've got a show podcast playlist, which I always. I was on it, it once. Were you? Yeah, they called me and I talked to them about the Guilty Feminist podcast, and I got a CBC podcast playlist tote bag. Oh, cool! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of podcasts are basically. They were radio shows, and then now it's this thing that's you don't need to broadcast it because you just put it on the internet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then and all the radio shows are are podcasted are now podcasts on on yeah. CBC. Have you heard? I heard one episode the other day called "Surviving Nexium." Oh, uh, that's what I've yeah, yeah. been listening and to in the morning. They've been playing it, and it sounds bananas. Scary. I want to download it. Oh, I've yeah, listened to the scary. whole thing. Oh, is it good? Yeah. Oh, okay. I've, yeah. yeah. They play the whole thing this week. Uh, yeah. We're getting close to the end. It's a wild story. Yeah. <laughs> the one podcast I did follow up on from that show was uh, Everything is Alive. Oh, you ever heard that? that sounds no. good. I have heard that. The guy interviews inanimate objects. Like, <gasps> yes, I have heard of that. They'll be like, today we're going to interview a Q-tip. Yeah. And it's an actor who plays yeah. the Q-tip. Yeah. I forget the one that I heard. It actually brought me to tears. It was... Uh, oh, Really touching, uh, <laughs> and it was just a can of soda or something. It reminds me of that. Do you guys remember that IKEA commercial where they put a desk lamp out on the curb and, yes! and it starts raining and the desk lamp is so sad and, and the Swedish neck. man comes out and says, "Many of you feel bad for this lamp. That is because you're crazy. It has no feelings, and the new one is much better." <laughs> yes, yeah. and then there was another one with um, it was like a Lipton soup commercial talking about how they had less salt in there soups and it had a little salt shaker with two eyes and it bowed its head and all the salt came out of its oh. eyes and i was like <laughs> and i felt bad for it all <laughs> yeah. what are you listening to these days mel well i thought i'd just divulge a couple of earworms which is like a cardinal sin to say it out loud but i'm gonna do it because i'm a jerk i already <laughs> mentioned one of them to liz have you watched stranger things Steve? yeah but, uh, third season the never-ending story the song is featured oh, right. towards the end so that's been on repeat okay. <laughs> in your head uh-huh Uh, yeah, I got an earworm problem. Generally, I mean, I've always got an earworm. I don't know <laughs> if that one's gonna gonna get get in there. Uh, it might it. after you see the episode. Can't wait. I they're might watch doing it a live stage version of the Never Ending Story. Oh, I'm so Hoxley excited. Workman, or I think it was Hoxley Workman, did the, the music for it. Huh. I'm excited. For I would that. go see that. I never go see live performances of anything because. I'm a stick in the mud. <laughs> so my daughter, Holly, also watches the NeverEnding Story music video on repeat from time to time. She goes through phases. <laughs> and she's like, Mom, look at that guy's hair. Isn't it so cool? Because it's blonde. I think it's a, it might be blonde on the bottom and black on top. Oh, wow. Yeah. I just thought of something else. Holly said it. It made me laugh so much that I spat on you. When you said that you tried to get her to go, you're like, Holly, you're going to miss the school bus. And she says, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, Mom. That's fine. <laughs> and then the other thing I've been listening to in the car is an old Fiona Apple album. Title. 
Maybe T I D A L. Not I wasn't. Asking I think it is that one. I title. Think it, it's the one with the kind of whitish cover with her face, as opposed to the red cover. I think that's title. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a song, "Slow Like Honey," that is also very firmly stuck in the other ear. she's doing with her life these days i don't know i've heard she's pretty tone deaf in person Ooh. which is unfortunate i but mean she's i like real, her recorded music her you know i feel the same way about lana del rey everyone slams lana del rey do you know who lana del rey is she's like can, she's kind of a weird an oddball she sings these kind of croony old-timey songs or like songs that sound a little bit croony and old-timey um and everyone says she sounds terrible live and i love her music i don't care if a robot made it i like the songs a lot <laughs> She's actually singing at her concerts and they're not used to that that's yeah I, because so many people just lip sync do you have a favorite lana del rey song uh yes it's called oh man i do it's called um oh, sorry i'm gonna look it up right now but i do and when i hear it i cry because i cry all the time <laughs> <laughs> that's just what liz does i think it's called old money yeah it's called old money so is the girl you used to call the queen of New York City. But if you send for me, you know I'll come. And if you call for me, you know I'll Yeah, it's old money. I love that song so much. It's really nice. It's very overwrought and emotional, which is right up my alley. Should we do some plugs? Yeah. Steve, do you have anything to plug? Yeah, I have a website, uh, MyCognosis, M-Y-C-O-G-N... O-S-I-S. Yeah, this is your website? Yeah, mycognosis.com. And and you write about mushroomy stuff on there, right? Yeah, that's where I put my mushroom musings. So I've got articles about a lot of the stuff that we talked about here and recipes. Cool. Chris left to have a nap. (laughs) (laughs) And he's Mr. Brook Valley Produce. (laughs) You can look it up. A hardworking farmer. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, my website is lizography.com. 
L-I-Z-Z-O-G-R-A-P-H-Y.com. <laughs> Liz is also really good at spelling. Yeah. Out loud. I'm a photographer. And a speller. And a speller. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Mel? MelodyStarkweather.ca. Hey, Steve is my web guy. Oh, oh right. Brook Media Arts. Well, I do web pages. <laughs> yeah. Brook Media Arts.ca. Neato. Yeah. Yeah, Melody's website's really nice. Good. Um, plugs, plugs, plugs. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends, please. And you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash teach me tiger podcast, where you can donate a little bit of money to help us out a lot. We got a new Patreon subscriber this week. It was pretty oh, yeah. exciting. Shout out to Anna Branny. Thank Thanks, you, Anna. Hi, Anna. <laughs> we really appreciate it. We do. Thanks for coming on, Steve. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. And thanks for listening. And I think that's it. That's it, yeah. And remember. And remember, it's, it's a, jungle a jungle out there. Wow. Ooh, good one. That was really <laughs> thanks good. Thanks for having me. Teach me, Tiger, how to tease you. Look at what you see. <laughs> da, da, da. You are so good at that. Thanks. Yeah, that was amazing. 